Hello out there on the internet, I am Matthew Galtz, and this is Cyber. Now, we don't get a lot of feel-good stories on this show. It's always hacking and tribulation on the podcast, so we thought we'd do something a little different and tell the story of someone who fought back against abuse and won. Nicole Gilliland is a former nursing student who began to experience discrimination when people at the nursing college she attended began to dig into her past. Gilliland was just trying to get a nursing degree, but the faculty at Southwestern Oregon Community College decided she wasn't fit because she'd formally performed in porn. She sh- she she sued, she won, a jury awarded her $1.7 million in damages, and the precedent set could have far-reaching consequences. With me here today is Motherboard Senior Editor Samantha Cole, who recently wrote about the case, and the student who lived through it, Nicole Gilliland. Samantha's story is on the site. It is How a Former Porn Performer Sued Your School for Discrimination and Won. Thank you both so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Good to be here again. All right, Nicole. So can you kind of, let's start from the beginning of this story. So you're, you enroll in, is it SOCC, SOC, can we call it? It's SWOC, um, S-W-O-C-C, SWOC. SWOC, okay. So you enroll in SWOC, and then when do things, when do you know that, something is wrong. So I, I was living, I'm from Utah and I was getting a divorce and I was pregnant and had my toddler um, at the time. So I had to return to Oregon because I had relatives there. Um, and I hadn't lived in Coos Bay before. So I wasn't aware of what type of place it was. Cause I, you know, it, Oregon has the Portland reputation of being like really progressive and, um, it's not like that the rest of the state. <laughs> so, um, I really wish they put up warning signs. So, um, Coos Bay is very, very fringe, very alt-right. Um, but I didn't have any issues initially. So I got there in 2016 and I was already a paramedic. Um, but reciprocity from state to state was difficult. And also hours for paramedics are just not really cohesive with single parenting. So I um, decided to switch to nursing because it you can go into any field. Like you can do an office job, you can do daycare hours and the pay is better. So I got there in 2016 and immediately enrolled um, and was accepted. I did a year of prerequisites and then was accepted into the nursing program in 2017. And also everything was great until the spring of 2018. Okay, so two years were fine. And then what starts happening? It started with Melissa Sperry. She was my instructor, advisor, mentor. Um, She had a terrible reputation, like terrible reputation for being a sadistic bully. Um, So I was told, I mean, just coming into the program to watch out for her. I didn't have any problems with her, though. I thought that she... And I had formed a really great working relationship and then just like a switch, something changed. Um, And it started with her giving me a bogus, like a fake assignment 
uh, that took, it was a huge assignment and it was assigned to me and nobody else. And uh, it took all of my time when I should have been working in someone else's class on their work. I was working on this fake assignment. Um, and yeah, it's when I tried to turn it into her, she's like, this isn't what I assigned you. And I'm like, I have emails <laughs> like it's in writing. Like you told me where to find this assignment. You directed me to this assignment. Like I'm, I'm confused as to how you're confused. She's like, well, you're getting a zero. And I'm just like, that's weird. Okay. Like um, I'd also asked to take um, some of her tests from the week before early because I was suffering from a debilitating kidney infection and I was septic. I even had a spinal tap that week. So I was really sick. And so I asked to um, take her tests early, which is common practice because if you take them late, uh, you get docked 10%. And so I asked to take it early and she said, don't worry about it, worry about my health. And so around this time, like then she gives me the fake assignment. And then the next week when I turn it in, she says she never assigned it. And then she says she's giving me a 10% penalty on the test for um, taking them late and just a lot of weird things. And she was smiling like, like the Joker. She, I mean, it was the, I actually couldn't even be in the courtroom when she was in there because that smile that she had still haunts my dreams, like literally haunts my dreams. And so um, she just had this huge grin and I'm just like, what is going on? Why are you doing this to me? And she said, uh, it takes a classy woman to be a nurse and unclassy women and points at me. It shouldn't be nurses. And so that's when I suspected that something much more serious was going on. And what was she teaching specifically? It's like group teach. So there's three classes at a, a term in the nursing program. And then all of the full-time instructors teach, like they each take a week. So it'll be Melissa's week, Pam's week, Robin's week, so on and so forth. So, and they all teach all three courses. So it's very integrated. Gotcha. And what was the, I'm just curious, what was the assignment, the fake assignment that she gave you? So it was called Kaplan remediation and it's um, the final at the end of each term is a Kaplan um, exam. And then the remediation that actually ended up being a real assignment for everyone, but it was a final assignment. That's why it was so massive. Um, it's where you go and you remediate the answers you got wrong on the test and find the correct answers. And so she had me do the test from the term before when she assigned the assignment. So it took, it took a long time to get it done. Gotcha. And so at what point did you, all right, so we know that, so you think you're being discriminated against at this point, right? By Melissa, is there anybody else that's involved? Um, does this get systemic in any way or is it, did it kind of begin and end with her? No, it spread like wildfire. Um, so I had suspected I had always had a strained relationship with my family. That's why it, you know, sucked to go back to Oregon during my divorce, but I didn't have a choice. Like I mostly grew up in the system. I was on my own at 15. They're just not good people. And like just, yeah, con artists and just, they're really gross people. And so, um, it didn't last long us trying to have a, a good relationship when I got back to Oregon and I walked away pretty quickly and they wouldn't let me, <laughs> they kept messing and meddling and spying and crying and trying to find ways to get at me. Um, 
And so I, I was worried that they were going to tell the college about my past. And so that's kind of when she said that, I'm like, oh God. And later I heard my brother-in-law um, admit that that is exactly what happened. So uh, the jury didn't get to hear that because he's not admitting to it now, but there was a lot more going on behind the scenes as to why that comment made clicked and made sense to me. So as soon as um, Melissa started her campaign, um, I immediately alerted the school that I felt I was being targeted and harassed. I showed them the emails. They agreed they didn't make sense. Um, her uh, boss, uh, Susan Walker, the program director, at first sided with me and said, yeah, um, Melissa, you have to give her the correct assignment because here's the emails where you are giving her a fake one. And so I felt like it was going to be over pretty quickly. Um, the next week, I... And I didn't tell the school what immediately what she said about the classy woman because I wasn't trying to out myself with my suspicions. I really wanted to keep the focus on her and what she was doing and not make it about because if it got out in this town about my path, it, it was not going to be a good thing. So I wasn't immediately like voicing those concerns, just that I felt like I was Melissa's latest victim and that this type of behavior isn't okay. Um, but then the next week after, right after she had to give me the fake assignment, um, I was in class and all of my grades were changed to F's in all the classes. And I ran out and she had taken a, a huge assignment from another teacher and said that she discovered plagiarism. And I'm like, well, if you're referring to these improper citations, that's in everyone's paper. That's, it's like if you want people to be very strict APA formatting, then you have to enforce that across the board. Like I had cited it, but I didn't do in-text citations, but that's copying word for word from our books and not citing the books happened every single class time. So it wasn't now that I'm in much higher education, I'm like horrified at their practice, but it wasn't something that was like a big deal. And so um, when she told me that she was opening an investigation into me, and then not in the, the other way around, that was another huge red flag. And I went to talk to Susan Walker um, and she was cold. Like she had gone super cold and said that they were um, holding an expulsion hearing for me um, that I couldn't bring any of my classmates. Cause I had a bunch of classmates immediately were like, here's our papers. Like, like mine's worse. <laughs> like this, if you're going to get her in trouble, then there's not going to be a program because it's a program wide issue. Here's, here's a bunch of examples of the teachers not citing their work. Here's like, like, it's not something you get to just have a witch hunt over and people were willing to stand up for me. But Susan Walker said, I couldn't bring them to the meeting. Um, I couldn't bring a lawyer. I couldn't record it. Um, I could bring a support person. And that, that had no association with the college. So I went to administration immediately after talking to her and seeing that this is, this is bad, bad. Um, I spoke with the vice president, um, Tim Daly, and I was like sobbing and I just went over all the emails, everything that was happening. Um, I also presented other complaints filed against Melissa Sperry from other students and how it had a strikingly similar pattern it starts with Melissa and then the rain's going to get passed to Susan. And um, they said that they were going to investigate it, but they would 
definitely be there at the meeting and they weren't going to let me get expelled. So we all get to this meeting and it's all of my teachers, uh, a dean and a vice president. And I brought all the examples that the other classmates work with me. So I could be like, here, just so that we're clear, I'm being punished for something everyone's doing. It's selective enforcement. That's discrimination. Like, that's it's not okay. Um, and then they, the dean and the vice uh, president said, we're going to look into this for now. We just want you to sign this probation sheet. It's all going to go away. Your grades are going to be restored. Everything's going to be fixed. I just need more time to work with this and like look into it. So I just don't want you to worry. And so I eventually signed the paper because they said that it was just a placeholder while they did the investigation into the nursing program. And we were all standing up to leave. And Susan Walker, the program director, she's shaking and sitting there and mumbling to herself. And she's like, I got to, I got to call the nursing board. I've got to talk to Liz. I've got to, and we're just kind of, she looked insane and she's everyone standing around the table waiting for her to stand up. And I'm finally like, what are, what are you saying? And she's like, slams her hands down on the table and leans in all fierce and angry and like spitting venom. And she's like, I have reason to believe you're an angry, very angry person and you're unsafe with your patients. And that was like, like a bomb went off because there's nothing more serious than saying a medical professional is unsafe with their patients. Um, and we basically got pushed out of the room at that point. The dean slammed the door. I could hear yelling. And then they came out and uh, the dean and the vice president took me to the vice president's office. And they were like, just forget she had that outburst. Forget she said that. It's not a big deal. It's never going to come up again. It was just an emotional moment. And what we found out through discovery is that she had already gone to my clinical instructor prior to the meeting and lied to my clinical instructor. She testified about this at the trial. So her name was Liz. So she'd gone to Liz and said that Nicole is having emotional outbursts on campus and we're worried about her mental health. Um, so we have, is there any reason that you have that she's to believe she's unsafe with her patients? And Liz said, no, like, absolutely not. She's not unsafe. She's great with her patients, caring, compassionate, right where she should be. Everything's fine with her. So she'd already gone to Liz and already gotten the, the all clear and still made the accusation when I didn't get expelled for plagiarism. So it's just, you kept going like that. <laughs> So let me let me back up here for a second. Sam, I've got a question for you. Um, this sounds a lot like at this stage that the college is basically trying to cover its own ass, right? Um, is this is what's going on right now? Is this a Title IX investigation? What is Title IX? I know that it's part of like uh, how these kinds of cases are adjudicated on a college campus. Where does that kind of factor in here? Yeah. Well, they had. Oh, oh sorry, go ahead. Sam. Sorry, Sam. No, that was you. No, you're fine. I mean, I was just going to define Title IX for people who don't know what that is. I think a lot of people might have heard of cases that are Title IX, but don't really aren't familiar with the law behind it. Um, so it's just the it's a civil rights law. Um, it forbids schools from receiving federal funding if they're discriminating against students based on their sex, um, which is pretty broad but at the same time like you have to fit these very specific qualifications to qualify for title nine and in nicole's case um she initially filed as part of her lawsuit um that this is a this is a 
Title IX case. And that was kind of the um, what they were going for at first. And then um, it became kind of, is this a breach of contract as well with a tuition paying student and a school? So yeah, Nicole can explain a little bit about like why they went Title IX um, in the beginning. Um, yeah, so it was all based on Melissa's comment of unclassy women. So that's gender stereotyping. Um, and that's covered under Title IX. If you aren't um, living into the expectations of what that person thinks that you should stereotypically be as that gender, that's gender stereotyping. So saying I was a, um, too unclassy of a woman to be a nurse was gender stereotyping is um, how that was kind of defined. And the judge did side with us on that because the school moved for summary judgment. Um, and that's asking the court to throw out the case out because it doesn't fit within the confines of the law. And so we had a historic ruling at this stage. Um, obviously, I didn't know I was the first person to try this or maybe I wouldn't have. But <laughs> I just knew what they were doing was wrong. But the judge actually did side with us and said that we had presented sufficient evidence uh, that this was um gender stereotyping. And the school at this point didn't know about the class one comment, but they did soon um, because it kept getting worse. And um, Susan Walker was showing up at my clinicals and interrogating my instructor again for two hours, like about my patient care, trying to substantiate that claim that they said was never going to come up again. Um, other teachers were docking my grades and joining in. My classmates weren't allowed to talk to me. I couldn't raise my hand in class. It was and nobody was stopping them. Like it was just so bad. And it was just getting worse every day until I think like a big tipping breaking point was I went to what was supposed to be an advisory appointment with Susan Walker and Dean Saldivar was there because as like a observer, because I didn't feel comfortable like being alone with these people anymore. Um, so, but it wasn't an advisory appointment. They wanted me to submit to a simulation to ease Susan's concerns over my patient safety. And I'm like, why are we still talking about patient safety? You promised me that that was the heat of the moment thing. It's been, you verified with Liz. Everyone's verified with Liz. The only person who watches my patient care that I'm safe. And yet she's still allowed to try to substantiate this. And you promised me you were going to protect me. And you're here asking serving me up to her. So I'm, that's when I knew like, this isn't going to turn around. So I went to vice president Daly and he's the title nine coordinator. And I, I told him everything. I like, I finally just came clean about my past, about what I think she knew about what she had said um, and why I thought this was happening. And I wanted Swak to really know that this is what they'd be joining in on. So if you're going to do this, this is what you're doing. And this is why I believe it's happening. And they denied their entire defense for the last four years was that that conversation never took place. And I never alerted the school as to my past. They had no idea. So how could they discriminate against me if they had no idea? And, you know, Tim Daly lied about that in depositions, and but he got on the stand. He's retired now. And blew everyone's socks off at the trial when my attorney asked him if I had come and told him, he said, yes. And he's like, okay, well, this is, that's a great confession. Like, did you tell anyone? He's like, yeah, I told the president of the college. 
the same president who told me to bring on a lawsuit, you know, instead of telling her staff to knock it off. Because as soon as I told um, Tim Daly, the president had been dodging me for weeks, Patty Scott, and she called me that night. So I suspected he had gone and told her and she called me and she was such a bitch. Like, I'm sorry, but like, I'll just be very clear. She was so stone cold. And I explained that nothing was being done to rein these women in and what they were doing was not okay. It's never going to be okay. And I have plenty of evidence. And if she wants to let them proceed and not stop them and let them run me out of school, I wasn't going to back down. I wasn't going to just let them take away my kid's future and over these bigoted reasons. And I would fight back and I would fight back as hard as I had to fight back. I didn't know what that would entail. And oh boy, had I, um, I don't know that I would have chosen the same path because it's been traumatizing, but she told me to bring it on. So I did. All right. We're going to pause there for a break. We will be right back after this. Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, cyber listeners, we are talking about the uh, former porn performer who just won a discrimination lawsuit to the tune of $1.7 million in damages against her former college for discrimination. Um, so before we left off the story, uh, before we went to the break, you, you were in, you're going to sue them mode. Uh, what happened when you started, like, how do you go about figuring out how you're going to do that, who, like, what lawyers do you approach? How did that process go? I honestly, I meant it, but I didn't think it was going to happen that way. Like I still, to this day, like after experiencing the whole process, can't believe that's how it went down. I mean, all they had to do was leave me alone. (laughs) Like I offered to sign non-disclosure agreements and forget about everything that had happened and all of the chaos and basically torture that they were putting me through. And I, up up until even into the next year, offered for it to all go away if they would just let me pursue my career and in a fair environment. So it's crazy to me that it had to go this far. Um, So it started once they had officially gotten me out of the program. um, I got an attorney, hired an attorney in Eugene, Steve Baldwin, not to sue them, but to threaten to sue them. So in Oregon with state claims, you have to file a tort notice with the, you know, intended defendants within six months to reserve your right to sue. And so that's what that was. That tort claim was like, look, this is serious. And this is reserving our, our right to sue if you don't take this seriously. And I guess that they, they said no at first. And then another attorney in Portland tried and they always made it clear they weren't going to sue, but they felt bad about what was happening. So that a couple attorneys tried um, negotiating with them. And one 
and Andrew Atchell, and he was awesome. And he actually spoke to their state insurance, the one who would be on the hook for this. And he's like, he had none of the facts, none of the facts. He's like, I thought she was still in school. And what do you mean this assignment? And what do you mean about this? And they just lied through their teeth to their insurance. So I, that's when I think that was strongly considered um, because this attorney for me was saying, no, there's a lot of evidence here of some really sinister shit happening. So take another look if this is the path you want to go. And because he was just assured left and right that I'm just crazy and I'm just ca- causing trouble. I'm just a crazy whore causing problems for this sweet little college. And so they had a meeting um, and they actually had a classmate be like the go-between. And they asked me if they, if I would if they, they could reconsider my offer. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah. If I get to go back to school, then we're good to go. And apparently three teachers had already quit. Um, three like innocent teachers that I think just didn't want to be a part of that program anymore. Um, so they were really short staffed and they needed Susan and Melissa and Pam. And I guess Susan and Melissa dug their heels in and said, it's her or us. And so they took a gamble, called my bluff and uh, kept me out. So that's when I found the the first attorney who filed the lawsuit against them. And what was the, the, the attorney's reaction when you like brought this to them and kind of started telling the story, the, the, the good one, the one that kind of took you all the way. Oh, the one who took me all the way, he came in in 2020. So, um, and he came in because of vice. So, Thank you. <laughs> um, my my first attorney, I feel like it's safe for me to say this, and I don't care if it sounds crazy because the whole point was to make me sound crazy, but I've proven everything so far. Um, and again, I think the jury only heard the first 10% of what me and my children were put through, and they were still horrified. And so people who were like astonished by this one is like, no, you should have been there. Like uh, it was, I got on the sand the first two days explained everything that happened within the scope of the case and throughout the trial, every single one of them, the defendants verified exactly what I had said. Um, And then every single one who had done something wrong, lied and got caught lying and, you know, got catty, got rude on the stand. Like uh, it just didn't go well. They did not look good. And the jury was like not responding well because they were, they were wasting their time. So um, it it was a whole lot of jerking around the jury and expecting them to buy a bunch of bullshit just because they're supposedly these noble people in education. And and they kept gaslighting me and just be like, don't listen to her. She's crazy. And we had Dr. Louise Fitzgerald, who's like the top forensic psychologist um, in the country. Like, and she took the stand and she's like, yeah, nope, she's not crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's not. But now I feel safe saying that um, on a state level, I I was being shut down. Um, it, it almost sounds like from your description, their defense was not that they didn't discriminate against you, but that it was okay to? That and denying that they did anything wrong, of course, but then it's like, well, what about this? What about these emails? What about this? What about that? And they're just like, oh no. But yeah, then they also kind of their their whole backup to we didn't know that fell through, you know, when Tim Daly took the stand. 
the closing ended up being, well, we couldn't have broken her because she was already broken. She's trash. <laughs> like, uh, so, and I, that was the hardest thing to sit through was that closing. I really want to throw my water bottle at the back of his head. And I'm like, but that won't help. <laughs> Don't do that. It's not going to help the look of what they're going for. But yeah, she's in foster care. Her family sucks, you know, sex worker, like, come on, jury. We're good people. She's shit. Like that was literally the closing argument. And so it, it was gaslighting from, I wanted to say day one, but it started before day one, we found out because Susan was already saying I was having, you know, episodes that I wasn't having to try to get dirt on me before I even knew anything was wrong. So they were gaslighting me before I even knew they were gaslighting me and they continued the entire four years. And I think they convinced a lot of people in the town, um, a lot of people with power that that was true, that I was crazy and, you know, that they are this great, these great people. And so I think a lot of people were really, really pissed off at me and they wanted to use their power to, to control this threat. And I hope that they're all shitting their pants now because it's like, now, you know, you were lied to and you went and attacked this mother and her children and did all these things to try to bury this case. And now she just proved that, that what she was saying was true and that she's not crazy. So I, I don't know how, like, I have to let go of a lot of the other things that happen and just kind of move on because I can't keep living in the past and that's going to be its own struggle. But the things that were done to try to bury this case were shockingly bad. And the, the amount of cronyism and corruption in Oregon, I really think they should just build a wall around Oregon. And, you know, you could leave Portland out and just just put up warning signs everywhere because it's not a functioning state. Um, I was terrified to go back there. I'm never going to go back there again. But, yeah, I, I got out of Oregon in 2020 after the police illegally searched my home. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have it on Why? video, too, that... Why did they come and search your home? Is part of the well, trial or what was going on? No, no. The first thing that happened, and this happened immediately after I took my final exam, um, was a social worker from who was SWAC alumni. Her campus or her office had been on SWAC campus for like 18 years. She's friends with a bunch of the defendants. She showed up because all of this over the course of several months broke me to a suicide attempt. And like, that's still so hard to talk about, but people think that that's a selfish act, but where you're warped, like you think that you're the problem. And at that point, I really believe that as long as my daughters were associated with me, they were screwed. Like I, I was never going to be able to give them a good life. It would always be snatched away. Nobody's going to pr protect me. No one's going to stick up for me. So they're not safe with me the worst thing that happened to these girls is that I'm their mom. So that was, it broke me. Um, and so I had attempted to end my life and, you know, obviously they weren't around and they were safe and I was hidden, but it, you know, I survived and I was glad for it. And I knew I'd made a mistake, but immediately I felt like to, to shift the liability of that away from SWAC, um, the social worker, Lydia Costa showed up and uh, took my kids and said I was crazy. I was a drug addict. I was a liar. Um, 
everything that would make this all my fault. Um, she broke a lot of laws though. That's where it gets really peculiar. And my therapist was the first to warn me about her. She's like, there's something very wrong happening here. She called me. She wanted me to give a mental diagnosis. And when I wouldn't do that, she hung up. She doesn't care about the truth. She's trying to find ways and information to hurt you. And if you don't give it to her, she gets mad. So they went to my ex-husband um, who was violent. And that's why we divorced. Uh, got his restraining order overturned for his testimony against me. So they helped him get this restraining order overturned. Why and would that be the thing that you dangle to somebody? That's the thing. That, so that's where we're getting to the cop situation. My, the domestic violence against me was exploited and used against me from day one. Even though he had four convictions, four court cases from before me, run a background check before you marry someone. But he, um, I gave them all this information and the social worker still took the stand and said I was lying about the abuse, that I'm crazy and that he's a great guy. And so they got the restraining order overturned. And then six months later, because he is violent and he can't help it, you know, he tried to murder me <laughs> and strangled me and was arrested and went to jail. And I was expecting a big apology because now my kids are traumatized. Uh, they've been removed had to be removed from the placement because of abuse. Like all of this stuff hinged on these lies that this social worker put together. And now I've proven I'm telling the truth. And not only did they not apologize, they tried to go to him and say it was mutual combat, right? Like she must've started this. Right. And he's like, I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not lying for you anymore. So he pled guilty and they tried to start a new case against me saying that it was mutual combat and that I was a violent and angry person. And I'm like, well, no one's saying that, not the police, not him, not me, no one's saying that. So where are you getting that your honor? And so they dismissed the case and kept me off the record from that point forward. Cause I was starting to sound, you know, like, wait a second, this isn't making any sense. Explain to me where this mutual combat claim is coming from. No one's saying that. Where are we getting that from? And so they dismissed that case and um, I eventually got my kids back. But now he has been convicted and there's a no contact order. And so right before I had to flee the state, he had was at my house and had assaulted me and I called the police. And this is now in Blue River, Oregon. We got out of Coos Bay and thought we were safer, but the Lane County Sheriff's Department shows up and it, you could just tell immediately that something was off because they're like, how, how is your mental health? How are you feeling? I'm just like, I'm good. Um, look, so he is my ex-husband. I have a no contact order. Just look it up. Um, he just assaulted me. Here's the bruises. This is my house. These are my kids. I have custody. And for all those reasons, take them and go. And they're like, no, we're really worried about you. And then they pulled him aside and they're like, bro, just give us what we need to take her. We're here for her. And so, and this is on video again. So I think Brandon, he actually sent them a tort claim because I want to see what they'd say. I'm not suing them too. I'm never suing anyone again. But <laughs> they, uh, Brandon sent them a tort claim saying, yeah, this happened. And their response from their attorneys was the cops were never there that day. And I'm like, oh, I guess they didn't know I was recording. So it, it was really bad. I, I, the cops literally followed me to the border. This is this is wild because it strikes me as it's it's like much bigger than just you're discriminated against 
sue and win. This is like, so anyway, I'm sorry. So like, this is much bigger. As I was saying, this is much bigger than just the discrimination case. This is like a classic story when women in the modern world have been telling for a hundred years and you won, you like struck back and won, you know, you're, you're out of the state. You're pursuing a dream. Cause you know, I'll, I'll cut, I'll, I'll cut to a, a spoiler at the end. Like you're a law student now. Yeah. No longer nursing. So, once I crossed the, the border into Idaho, um, that's where the first five story ended and everything was instantly better. Now the craziness stopped. Like there was nothing bad happening anymore. Um, you know, I'd gone to the FBI a couple of times. They wouldn't look at anything or listen to me, but eventually I just, okay, I'm safe now. I was safe in Utah. Um, homeless to start, but safe. And so I was actually able to rebuild really quickly when people aren't trying to destroy you. <laughs> it's it's amazing what you can do when you don't have like that weight um, constantly pounding at your door. So it's, I was able to you know, finish my bachelor's in political science um, at Southern New Hampshire University. I did that online. And this is now the pandemic. So it's nice that it was already online for me because it didn't affect my education. So I um, graduated with a 3.96 GPA and national honor student. Um, I, let's see, uh, I did really well in my LSAT. Um, I was offered a full scholarship, almost complete scholarship to University of Massachusetts School of Law. Um, I fell in love with my best friend. Uh, he and I were friends for 10 years and then um, when I got back to Utah, he was all up to speed and we had it's the Sam should I tell that side too? Oh my god, that's crazy. Okay. So my um my fiance John, his um while I was dealing with all this stuff in Coos Bay in 2018, his brother, Christopher, was murdered in Grants Pass, Oregon, right near Coos Bay. And so we had this shared Oregon trauma that brought us a lot closer. I know, I know. It's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, I'm telling you. If I didn't live it, I wouldn't believe it either. But so I fell in love with him when we got back to Utah and um, we're engaged now and living in Massachusetts. And I just finished my first year of law school. I'm uh, actually a Title IX advisor for the for UMass. Um, I am on the board of directors for Swap Behind Bars. I am an ambassador for the Woodhull Freedom Foundation. So yeah, things turned around. <laughs> things got a lot better once I got out of Oregon. Once I was safe, it was amazing because I was really pissed off too. Like, yeah. um, like rebuilding and climbing high enough to be heard because it's just, it's shocking that feeling. Like you said, the fat gaslighting and what women have been saying when you're the subject of a witch hunt and what that feels like. And I wasn't going to let that be the end of the story. There's no way, like my daughters had to know that I did everything I could to make up for what happened to us for me almost quitting for, for all of that. So I would say obsessed is a good word with justice. And now like I have it. So I'm still trying to process how to let go of like kind of the rest and, and move on. But I, I really hope someday there's a criminal investigation into SWAC because I believe that they, they, president told me to bring it on and was willing to bring the weight of every contact she had down on my head. And that's what she did. And so I really hope that's investigated someday, but 
the whole country is corrupt. So you got to kind of just take your wins when you can get them and move on. And that's why I'm going into law is so that I can get a lot more wins for women like me and people in my situation. Sam, can you give me the bigger context here? Like what, how important is this precedent and what do you think it's going to mean down the line? Yeah. So, I mean, this is obviously an incredible success story. That's very inspiring for Nicole and everybody who was involved in the case. But um, this I think was watched very closely by um, specifically the community of sex workers right around her, but also just nationally Um, sex workers are discriminated against for their past constantly every day. Um, you You always hear you should go get a real job. That's not a real job. And then when they try to go get a real job, quote unquote, um, society doesn't let them. And it's, you know, what about your past? And what about you used to be in porn and you're, you're an unclassy woman. Like it's all these things are thrown at you. And this is something that Alex Andrews, who's the co-founder of um, Swap Behind Bars, which is a sex worker advocacy network. She talked about in this piece was, you know, the idea that um, this is really much bigger than just this one discrimination case, just this one school and this one student. It's um, really something that people who are discriminated against for their past work and society's views of it can look to and say, okay, it's possible that, you know, I can win against this system that's set up for me to fail. And also it's, something that should scare these institutions and these instructors and bosses and pretty much anyone in power over um, someone like Nicole, who's just trying to get an education into realizing that, you know, it's, you're not up against someone who's powerless here. Like there is real power in saying, no, I'm not standing for this and I'm going to fight back with everything I have. Um, and obviously, you know, Nicole, I think we've talked about before, but like, she didn't do it alone either. Like it was that community that kind of helped along the way. And, um, you know, she called the hotline for uh swap behind bars and that's kind of how she got set up with Alex in this bigger community. And, um, you know, her, her lawyer, Brandon Mark was you know willing to kind of take it the whole way and say, this is wild, but we're going to try. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it sets a precedent just for society in general, because, you know, you see all these news stories that are like, um, teachers only fans found by a parent and now she's fired or, um, you know, I mean, that's something that's just in the news constantly and it happens way more often than you see headlines about it. So I think, yeah, this is a big example of like, it actually doesn't have to go that way. Like it can be something that um, you can have recourse over. And hopefully like it doesn't have to be that someone gets dragged into court every time this happens. Like eventually maybe it'll just stop because these institutions don't want to pay $1.7 million because they were dicks about someone being in porn once. Like that's incentive enough, I would think. Um, But, you know, we're probably far from that (laughs) socially. (laughs) This was a step in the right direction, though. Yeah, it's a step. It's a huge step. It's a leap. Um, It's a leap in the right direction. Yeah. 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 It's a landmark. Well, there's so many, like you said, heroes. I mean, I say heroes because Alexander's, she's 
she's my hero. Um, you know, she brought me into to a family, to a community when I had no idea how I was going to last another day. Um, having zero support and being like, you know, public enemy number one in, in Coos Bay. And so Alex, she brought me out to the Woodhull Freedom Summit um, and inter- I got to meet so many um, incredible sex workers who, and that's, I think where I find my comfort is as crazy as my story sounds, it doesn't sound crazy to them because they've been through all the same things I've been through and discrimination and family court injustice and all of these things are happen every single day to sex workers. And so I, w- I feel much safer and much more understood um, when I'm around sex workers. And I want to stay with that for the rest of my life. Like it, it brought me to, I don't want to say it was worth it, but it brought me to a, a more destined path um, where I get to be in a community where I can help um, continue to, to stop this insanity that happens to us. And it doesn't get attention. Like you, you get some catchy headline every once in a while about like the teacher and only fans, but what's really going on, you're probably getting 10% of, of what she's actually going through. And so, and then Brandon, oh my gosh, Brandon, like, ah, I just love him. Love him. So that was the best moment of the trial is after the verdict and after we're dismissed, we go back into the witness room and we're all crying, like all of us as a group. And I'm like, Brandon, I just love you. And he's like, I love you too. I'm just like, um, he, he's magnificent. And he was, if I could be 10% of the attorney he is someday, that would be an incredible attorney. And, you know, he's at the top law firm in um, Utah, Parsons, Bailey and Latimer, and they really have a reputation for helping women in terrible situations. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's some heroes that saw this and were like, this isn't okay. And we'll try and help you say it's not okay. And we were able to do that. And now we get to say it a lot louder. So I'm, I'm excited about the future now, instead of being stuck in the past. I think that's a really beautiful note to end on. Cause I think that's something that the internet does to us sometimes. Um, our, our internet and our culture uh, makes it really easy for us to be trapped in the past forever. Um, and so that's one of the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and why I think your story is so important and so engaging is that it's proof that we don't have to, right? Sometimes you have to fight like hell and it traumatizes you, but you don't have to live there. So. Yeah. A lot of healing to be done, but um, this was a lot of closure and I'm, it's the first time anyone with any sort of power to do anything about it did something about it. So I hope like Sam was saying institutionally and then state government wise and, you know, nursing boards and all the oversight people are going to start paying more attention because do you want to pay $1.7 million? All right. Samantha Cole, Nicole, Samantha. Yeah. Right. Oh, they they don't, they rhyme. It throws me off. Sam and Nicole, thank you for coming on to Cyber and walking me through this. Um, yeah, thank you. Sam, thank you so much for having me. Sam, I understand that uh, you have a book with stories like this that are the stories that kind of shaped the internet. Uh, what is the title of that book and, and when can we get our hands on it? Yeah, it's called How Sex Changed the Internet. Uh, and it's coming out in November, but you can pre-order it now. You can find me on Twitter and the link is there. And I think when we get a little bit closer to the book's publication, I'm sure we will be on cyber talking about it. Uh, If you guys like the show, listeners, we do record 
most of them live on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV to follow us and get notified when we go live. Uh, we will we will be back another Yeah. And I'm having an afternoon. And uh can't re-record the outro because it's got music over it. We will be back a little bit later this week with another uh, story from the depths of the internet. Thank you all so much. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.